beginning, thank you to Jose for reading the scripture and for praying for the sermon. And thank you to JR for leading us in worship this morning. Today is a day that we really ought to worship. It is a day of celebration. Today is Palm Sunday. And if we were able to gather together at the church, I am sure today would be a day of excitement where we are singing God's praises, where the kids are passing out palm branches, and where we really celebrate together. Now, we're going to make the best of it today because even though we are not able to gather in the church, Jesus is still worth celebrating. What we celebrate on Palm Sunday, uh, that Jesus is the king making his way into Jerusalem to bring salvation, does not change whether we are stuck in our homes or whether we are in church. He is worthy to be worshipped. And so we're going to make the best of it this morning. I'm here in my, at my home uh, in my backyard, and my kids, my family are, is helping me out this morning. So these are my kids. They're going to help me out in a minute. And Chelsea, my wife, is recording. So say hello, Chelsea. Hello. Happy Palm Sunday. Miss you guys. The reason I start off in the backyard here this morning is because we've got this path that leads up to the home, and I want to take a minute and uh, imagine the scene that would have been taken, be, that would be taking place on that first Palm Sunday. Jesus, in the passage that uh, Jose read for us, it says that he has gone ahead. In other words, he is leading the way. Uh, we'd already seen in Luke 9, 51, that Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem. He is bound and determined. He is going there for a reason, and that is to bring salvation. And now as he begins to make his way to Jerusalem, the crowds begin to uh, uh, gather around. There are many travelers who are going to Jerusalem as well because this is the week of the Passover feast. And as they make their way, I can imagine someone uh, turning and seeing Jesus on that donkey. Jesus has told his disciples to go ahead and get a donkey, uh, a young donkey. Mark tells us that it is the cult of a donkey that has never been ridden before. And Jesus has mounted this donkey and this slow prodding animal is making his way on the path towards Jerusalem. Someone sees him and says, hey, hey, I recognize that guy. I heard him teach. His teaching is fantastic. His teaching changed my life. And another one says, yeah, I heard him teach too. And, uh, and when he got done teaching, he took a little boy's lunch and he prayed over it and it multiplied and it fed me and thousands of others. He did miracles. And others would say, yeah, he is a miracle worker. That's, that's Jesus. I've seen him uh, cause blind men to see and lame to, to get up and walk. I've seen him cast out demons, and someone will even say, yeah, and he can raise the dead. I saw him raise Jairus' daughter from the dead, or I saw him raise his friend Lazarus, and the buzz in the crowd is, is almost tangible. People are getting excited, and they, begin to, and they begin to shout his praises. And so that's where I'm going to bring my kids in, and they're going to shout the praises for us one more time. Kinsey... What do they say to Jesus as he's entering into Jerusalem? Blessed is your name. You come in the name of the Lord. Yeah, they say, blessed is the king. So do that one more time and face the camera and say it with a lot of energy. Blessed is your king. You come in the name of the Lord. 
Yeah, and Dawson, what else do they say? Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. That's right. Thank you, guys. It is the idea that Jesus comes as the king who brings peace. And that's what I want to talk about to us this morning on Palm Sunday. I want us to talk about how Jesus is the king of peace. Because if ever we have needed a king of peace, today is the day that we need a king of peace. We need a king. We need to know that Jesus is still in charge. That he is sovereign. That he rules over all. That he reigns over this crazy world that we live in right now. And we need to know the peace that he brings. In a world that is overcome with anxiety and fear and uncertainty. We need to know the peace that Jesus brings. So I'm going to make my way over into the living room where I can open up the scriptures before me and we can look at this passage together and we can consider how on this Palm Sunday in 2020, Jesus can be our Prince of, that Jesus can be our King of Peace. Let's, let's go in the living room. As I have the scriptures open before me here, it is quite clear that the story is emphasizing that Jesus is a king. And not just any king, we have to read this through the lens of a first century Jewish man or woman. They've been waiting for the king of Israel to come for centuries. Uh, prophecy after prophecy has been given about how there was to be one who would come in the line of David, who was their greatest king, who would then be even greater. He would be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He would be the anointed one. He would be the Messiah. And so the, there are all kinds of prophecies that apply to Jesus. The one that is clearest for our passage this morning is Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus is that king that all of the Old Testament prophets have been looking forward to. He is the one who is now coming into Jerusalem, righteous and bringing salvation, riding on a donkey, on the colt, the foal of a donkey. And in some ways, this passage uh, that records Jesus' triumphal entry would have been a common scene for, for, for the first century uh, witnesses. And in many other ways, and in some other ways, it is quite unique to the person of Jesus himself. You see, it was a common it was a, it was a common scene in that this is how a king would have normally come back to his capital city after having won victory in war. It was kind of a victory processional, so to speak. And all the people would gather along the path that would lead into the city. And they would begin to shout his praises. And they would lay down their cloaks and their palm branches on the road. Because they're welcoming back a king in victory who has brought peace to the land by defeating all of their enemies. But in some ways this triumphal entry is quite unique to Jesus himself. 
Because in the first century, the king would have usually ridden a large, wild, magnificent beast, a stallion who uh, portrayed strength and might, uh, a, a stallion that would show that he is more powerful than all the other rulers, that he is the king of the great nation. But Jesus has chosen a far different animal. In fact, it's almost the opposite of a stallion. He's chosen a humble, lowly donkey. The animal a servant would use, a, a beast of burden. And in some ways, this donkey is the perfect animal for Jesus. Because the salvation that he brings, the victory that he brings as the king, is quite different than all of the other victories that would have been won by other kings. In fact, the victory that he brings is quite unexpected. Usually the victory would come by killing all of their enemies. Jesus comes by, and brings victory by having himself killed. He comes riding on a beast of burden because in many ways he will take the burdens of others upon himself. He will carry the burden of sin and guilt and shame when he goes to the cross. In a sense, he's going to act as a servant on behalf of others to take the wrath of God on himself. This is the picture that we see uh, of Jesus going into Jerusalem. We see him as the king, the king of peace. And so this morning, I want to just take a moment and Talk about those two points, Jesus, one, being a king, and two, bringing peace. And flesh shows out a little bit for us. First of all, Jesus is the king. As a king, he brings rule and authority, and as with any good king, he brings protection and wisdom and peace to the land. The prophet uh, Jeremiah says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. This is describing the kind of king that Jesus would be. He would come as the righteous branch of David. And uh, as the righteous branch of David, he would be called the Lord our righteousness. Now righteousness in the Bible is a very specific thing. Righteousness uh, is, means that we have right standing before God. Because all of us have sinned, we are unrighteous. Uh, when it says that Jesus is our righteousness, it's talking about how Jesus takes his righteousness and he places it upon us. In theological terms, he imputes his righteousness to us. Jesus brings righteousness by, first of all, living a perfect, sinless life. But beyond even his obedience while he was on earth, Jesus is righteous because he is God, because he is holy, he is righteous to his very character, being that he is divine. The righteousness of Christ refers to God's holy perfection in Christ. 
And so when we talk about Jesus being our righteousness, that means that anyone who has received him as their Savior and Lord, when God looks upon them, he does not see their sinfulness, but the righteousness of Christ. On the cross, there is a divine exchange where Jesus takes upon himself our sin, like that beast of burden. Our sin and guilt is laid upon him, and then his righteousness is put on us the moment that we believe and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And at that moment, Jesus becomes our Lord. He is our King. In other words, His righteousness is imputed on us so that now, by the Spirit that lives within us, we might begin to live righteous lives. And so Jesus takes over. It is the Spirit of Christ that lives in us. And so now he is in charge of our lives. He's the king. And we live by his righteous commandments. Commandments to love God and to love one another. This is the way that Jesus is the king of our lives. He is the king. And what kind of king is he? He is the king of peace. And this is simply the second point of today's message. That Jesus brings peace. I've had an opportunity to pray over the phone with a number of you, and I wish I had an opportunity to pray with everyone, uh, and hopefully we'll have that chance soon. But as I've had a chance to pray with some of you, we oftentimes find ourselves praying for peace. This past week, I had an opportunity to pray with one of our church members, and he said that his prayer request was that God would give him a peace that is that just stands out, even among his neighbors. A peace that almost doesn't make sense in such a crazy time, that there would be something different about him, that he would have a peace that transcends all understanding. And that is to quote Philippians 4, 7, which says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we as Christians, if we as a church, would have a peace that just defies explanation? That we would have a peace that guarded our hearts and our minds, that transcended all understanding. Now, we live in a time right now in which that kind of peace is very foreign. We live in a time in which there is very little peace, but a lot of anxiety and fear. We fear the coronavirus and the illness and the death that it brings. And we hear the numbers on the news of those that have it or how many people are affected by it or will be affected by it. And how many people could die from this. And it, doesn't, and it causes anxiety to stir up within our hearts. And you may even know someone that now has the coronavirus. Or you know someone who's working in the healthcare front lines of battling this evil disease. And there are fears within your hearts for those individuals. And then just beyond the health concerns, there are economic concerns. The economy is a mess and we're concerned about our own jobs or our own business. And all of this is quite nerve-wracking. 
And then there's other stressors that come into our lives, things that like uh, social isolation and loneliness, and all these things compound upon us. If ever we have needed a king of peace, today's the day. And I understand there's been times where I just almost wanted to break down and cry, and maybe you felt that way too. You just wanted to cry or yell or get mad at someone, a family member, or, or even God himself. And there are so many stressors that come upon us. And what we need is a sense of peace. The places that we normally uh, go to peace are, uh, go to for peace may now be held at arm's distance. Sometimes we look for peace in, uh, in entertainment and going out to the movies or going out to eat or we look for peace among our friends. We may even find peace when we are able to go at work. That's where we find our identity and it brings a peace and now all of those things are at a distance. I uh, love to go into the national park near my house and go for a walk and I find peace in, the nature, in, in nature and now that park is closed. And so where will we go? On this Palm Sunday, we are challenged to humble ourselves and to turn to Jesus and to ask him to be our king of peace. The verse we often recite at Christmas could also be given to us on this special holiday. Isaiah 8, 6, and 7 says, And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. On the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The peace that Jesus brought when he came to this earth, uh, when he was that prince of peace, continues from that time on and forever. We still live in a time in which Jesus can be our king of peace. In the Palm Sunday story, Jesus tells the Pharisees that they have missed their opportunity to receive his peace. In verse 42, he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. Because, verse 44, you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. May we not miss the time of God's coming to us. In this difficult time, this is the time to draw near to Jesus and receive his peace. It may be a time for us to have a little extra time with the Lord. Spending time daily in prayer and in his word, reading the Bible. Having family devotions. Maybe even reevaluating our lives and what we, are, what we are building our lives upon. What are those sources of peace that we look to? This is our opportunity to focus on Jesus. And so what if Jesus were to stand before us today on this Palm Sunday in 2020? I wonder if he would say similar words to, the, to what he said to the Pharisees almost 2,000 years ago. If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace.
recognize the time of God's coming to you. Today is that day. Today is the day to receive him as the king of peace. Now, as we prepare our hearts for communion, this is an opportunity to come before Jesus as our king of peace. It's an opportunity for us to quiet our hearts with all the fears and anxieties that are going on in this world. It's an opportunity to come before him and to express what is truly weighing us down. To receive his love in a special way and to, uh, to receive his peace. One of the things we always try to do at West Covina Christian Church when we take communion together is encourage you to have a moment just to spend in prayer and to meditate on God's love for you. It's an opportunity for you to be honest and vulnerable to Jesus and to really, exp uh, really describe to him what is going on in your heart. Now, this is not the same as meeting together in the sanctuary but we're going, to make it, uh, we're going to make it as similar as possible. Rod's going to play the organ for us. And then I'm going to read the passage from 1 Corinthians 11. And I'll give us instruction when it is the right time for us to uh, partake of the bread and the juice together. And that'll be an opportunity for us to uh, do this together in the best way that we can. Now keep in mind that even though we try to replicate what we would normally do on the first Sunday of the month, this is not the same. And yet we serve the same God. We serve the same God who is able to draw near to us. And so if you are ready, we're about to partake of our communion together. I'll admit this doesn't look like the same bread that we normally have in uh, the worship service, nor does this look like the same drink. But, what, but I want to remind us, or at least tell us, that you know when we gather together in uh, the sanctuary at church, uh, you know where we buy our bread and our juice? We buy it from the grocery store the same place that you have bought your bread and juice. And we, we, and we usually use unleavened bread because that's what Jesus used at, on the Last Supper. Uh, but it doesn't really matter. If you've got unleavened bread or, or uh, wheat bread or raisin bread for that sake, what matters is what the bread symbolizes. This bread symbolizes the body of Jesus that was broken for you. And it doesn't matter whether you have grape juice, that's what we usually use at West Covina Christian Church, or some churches use wine, or I've got grape Gatorade here this morning. That's the best I could do. Again, it doesn't matter what, uh, what the liquid is, and what, it, what matters is what it represents. This is, represents the blood of Jesus that was spilled for you. You see, ultimately, it's not the elements themselves that are most important. What's most important is what it represents and what's within our hearts. And so I'm going to pray for us here in a moment. And then as uh, after I do, I want to encourage you to, first of all, take the bread and hold it in your fingertips. Like you would in our 
church service. And as you hold it, may you meditate upon the fact that this represents Jesus' body. Jesus rode that donkey into Jerusalem for the purpose of having his body hung on a cross. His body was broken and bruised. A spear was pierced through his side. Nails were, uh, were nailed through his wrists and his feet so that he hung upon that cross, not for his own sin, but for our sin. So that our sin might be laid upon him and his righteousness might be poured out upon us, might be given to us. And then as we have the cup of liquid, whatever your liquid is, I encourage you just to take that and smell it and to receive it, not just as juice or Gatorade or, or whatever you're using, grape soda, but for, the, for our purposes, this is the blood of Jesus. It symbolizes the blood of Jesus. And, we, and I get a scent from this drink, but it ultimately may it point me to the scent of the cross. That he, that he loved us so much that he died for us. Let me pray for us. Father God, this is a unique way of taking the Lord's Supper this, this morning. But God, I ask that each of us in our own homes might be flooded with a sense of your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would draw near to us and that you would be our King of Peace. May at least for a few moments the fears and anxieties wash away as we take in this bread and this drink and we are reminded that you died for us on the cross because you love us so much. I pray for a blessing upon this communion service. In Jesus' name, amen.
For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink. The scriptures go on to say, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I want to pass it over to JR to lead us in our final song this morning. <laughs> 